someone do something about it. 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 93.3 KWTO and stream us on the 93.3 mobile app. Welcome back to KWTO. You know, one of the things that's been in the news recently has been this litigation over the upcoming abortion referendum that may or may not be on the ballot. We've talked about it here a little bit. It it continues to move up. I believe it's uh, moving up to the Supreme Court of the state of Missouri before it all gets done. But one of the interesting things is there's a fight between the attorney general, the secretary of state and the state auditor on what the appropriate fiscal note is of this referendum. Now, why do we care about this? Well, everything that 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 the court decides will then be on the ballot in November, uh, or probably November of next year. And as we know, besides from presidential race, the governor's race, the U.S. Senate race, this abortion referendum will probably be ground zero um, in the state. Joining us now on the show, State Auditor Scott Fitzpatrick, who can hopefully bring a little bit of clarity to this discussion. Scott, welcome back. Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, it's great to hear from you. I know a lot of people, I always, I, I always like to use my parents as sort of politically um interested but but not so deep into it they 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 no longer think like normal human beings so they're always like well what's going on we don't understand why are republicans suing republicans over a fiscal no what's it matter walk us through exactly what's going on in this situation yeah well interestingly uh we, you know we are not suing each other it's the petitioner that has sued us both and and the reason for that is that and when I say the petitioner, I mean the person or the individual, uh, which is being backed by the ACLU in this instance, uh, who is trying to circulate this abortion initiative petition, has has sued me and has sued the attorney general uh, because they have not received a certified ballot title. And the reason they haven't received a certified ballot title is that that ballot title has to include a fiscal note, which which I'm responsible for writing, or the state auditor's office writes. And the attorney general has to approve the legal content and form. And so we have a big kind of, I guess, disagreement about what is legal content and what is form of a, of a fiscal. So without getting way too far into the weeds on, on like legal theories and, and the, you know, the real nuanced pieces of litigation, what it really comes down to is, you know, we, the attorney general's office wanted us to write in the fiscal note summary that, that the state would lose twelve and a half billion dollars of federal Medicaid revenue if the initiative were to pass. And, you know, look, there's no there's no daylight between the Attorney General, the Secretary of State, or myself on the issue in the initiative petition of abortion. You know, we're all three adamantly opposed to abortion. Uh, we're all three going to, if assuming these make, any one of these make the ballot, we'll, we will all be campaigning hard against them. But I have to separate as the state auditor my my personal position on the issue of abortion for my responsibility to write an unbiased fiscal note summary that will be presented to voters. And ultimately, we just could not come up with any justification for saying that the state was going to lose $12.5 billion of Medicaid funds if this passed. Um, I, I wish that I could write that. I wish that was the case, but it just isn't the reality of the situation. And so because we didn't include that in the fiscal note summary, the attorney general's office didn't approve the legal content and form and really the lawsuit comes down to over you know who who has the authority to decide what goes in a fiscal note is it is it the state auditor which we think it is and the circuit court agreed it was 
or is it the attorney general? And that's really what the, the issue boils down to and what's going to be decided by the Supreme Court sometime in the next month or so. Some people may find this a little bit uh, arcane or, or, or pedantic, but what is what? how does the state auditor determine the fiscal note on something like this? Sure. So the statute is very gives a lot of discretion to the auditor to determine what the estimated costs or savings of any initiative petition are. But and as part of that, the way the process works now is it worked when I came into office and, you know, it's worked this way across multiple administrations, both Republican and Democrat, is that the auditor's office solicits input on fiscal impact from every state agency and a cross-section of local governmental entities, including counties, cities, school districts, uh, that that will basically give us an impact statement on what they believe the the costs or savings to their entity will be. And then we essentially compile that information into a summary that has to be less than 50 words to appear on the ballot. And uh, we also accept submissions on costs or savings and, and from uh, opponents or proponents of the major. So anybody can submit a, uh, you know, a submission to us that we will consider and in including that in the summary uh, the fiscal note summary, but we have to, obviously we get competing responses and we get, you know, we have to look at the reasonableness of those submissions and to determine, you know, is this something that we can include in the fiscal note summary? And when you have, you know, opposing viewpoints, you have to discern, determine what is more reasonable or if neither of them are reasonable and then write the fiscal note summary based on that. Tell us how big how big the office is because I know uh, the the different offices they have different size staff but especially as you have all of these different ballot proposals and referendum that start to come through you have to have a pretty good sized office to handle this type of uh, these kinds of projects. So we have the the, the overall auditor's office. It's in, we're in an interesting situation because when I came into office it was very low on staffing. I mean there's been a tremendous amount of turnover over the last few years. And the office is budgeted to have over 160 employees. And when, when we showed up, we had 89, including myself and the, the people brought with me. So, so we were way understaffed. Um, the fiscal notes are, are written mostly by uh, a staff of three people that, that, that specialize on the fiscal note process. And those people have been here a long time and have, have been doing fiscal notes for, for many, many years uh, across multiple administrations. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it is a lot of work and we have limited resources and we also only have 20 days total from the time we get the, uh, from the time we get the, the initiative petition sent to us by the Secretary of State to write the fiscal note and fiscal note summary. And the first 10 days of that is consumed with people, you know, submitting us information. So then we have the, the last 10 days to try to evaluate that information and boil it down into a, uh, into a fiscal note summary. And, you know, needless to say, that is not a lot of time, especially when we're getting, we've gotten a hundred and around 115 initiative petitions submitted to us for fiscal notes so far this year. And a lot of those come at the very beginning of the year. So we end up with sometimes 15 or 20 at one time that we're trying to write fiscal note summaries on with a staff of about three people who work on that. Uh, all right. En- enough on the, enough on the technical details. Let's get into the fun stuff. Just recently, and, and I, I, we, we might have touched on this a little bit before, but just recently, you uncovered some pretty dramatic fraud in Southeast Missouri. Walk us through how that process happened and what you uncovered there. 
Yeah, so, you know, one of the things the auditor's office does is conduct fraud investigations if there's a, you know, a whistleblower complaint about, um, you know, somebody concerned about fraud in either local or state government. So we have the you know, the power to investigate that and then move into an audit in some cases, uh, depending on what type of entity it is. So in, in the case that you're refer- referring to, the city of Holland, which is far down on the boot hill in Pemiscot County, we had a request from the Board of Aldermen to, to come conduct an audit because, they were in a pretty bizarre situation. It's a small town of less than 200 people that ended up with somehow the city clerk ended up serving as the acting mayor because there was a vacancy in the mayor's office and the board of aldermen had ceased to exist. And so this one individual um, ended up in a position of, of controlling the entire city government on her own, was essentially collecting utility payments from the residents of the city uh, because the city owned the utility system down there and was depositing significant amounts of money that she collected from the utility receipts into her own personal bank account. Um, it, it accumulated to the tune of about $70,000 over the three and a half years that she was operating on her own as the acting mayor without an election for about three and a half years. And then finally an election took place. A new mayor was elected. A, a couple of members got on the board of aldermen and then they requested the audit. And so that's a case where, you know, we had somebody in a small, a small city stealing money from the public that, you know, accumulated to, like I said, $70,000 which is a significant amount of money. And, you know, we went in and conducted an audit, identified that fraud and uh, are now working with uh, local law enforcement prosecutors to hold that individual accountable. Uh, one of the one of the more high profile audits that you've been engaged in for a period of time now has to do with the St. Louis Circuit Attorney's Office, the old Kim Gardner office. I know she's now out of office, but that audit continues. Walk us through what's happening there. Yeah, the Circuit Attorney's Office audit began in 2021, in June of 2021, so three years ago, or I guess two years ago, not three. Uh, and that was pursuant to a request from the Board of Aldermen that was received by the auditor's office in January of 2018 to audit the entire city of St. Louis. So we're five years into this audit of the city of St. Louis. The circuit attorney's office is the last audit that has to be completed for that job to be com- complete and whole. And it started, like I said, two years ago. So Nicole Galloway was the auditor. And I inherited it when I took office in January, and the uh, the audit had made very, very limited progress due to this former circuit attorney, Kim Gardner, refusing to cooperate with the audit process. They would not turn over documents. They would ignore, you know, would not respond to emails or phone calls, and it was a total just waste of time. And so finally, I issued a subpoena for records uh, in March of this year. And that produced some results. We did get some information, but a lot of that information was redacted. You know, one example I can give is that, you know, there was a credit card statement with a with an airline ticket that was purchased. And on the statement, they had blacked out or redacted the name of the, the individual who was traveling, the location they were traveling to. And, you know, in order to determine if that was an appropriate use of taxpayer money, we need to know, was that Tim Gardner traveling for a for a, uh, an official prosecutor's conference or was it for some political trip that should not have been paid for with taxpayer money? And so that we were just facing constant roadblocks. And now there's a new circuit attorney, Gabe Gore. They've opened up the, uh, the process to us much more now. We actually have auditors working on site uh, this week and we'll, they'll continue to be there doing field work over the next several 
uh, months and I was actually there. I was, I, I was finally able to get to the circuit attorney's office and was actually allowed to, to walk into the circuit attorney's office uh, for the first time during this process on Monday. So we're, we're making progress on that. We will get to the bottom of what was going on in the circuit attorney's office and that audit will get released at some point. Hopefully uh, it'll be next year, but uh, we want to do a really thorough job on that. What is, you know, uh, a lot of people don't, don't really understand that the, the breadth and scope of, of the work you do, what is, what is something that you can audit and what is something you cannot audit? So we have the, essentially we can audit in certain circumstances, any political subdivision or any governmental entity in the state of Missouri. So some of those we have original discretion and, and law to audit without any type of uh, petition or invitation. An example of that is like a school district, any any county that doesn't have their own county auditor, state agencies uh, of any type, um, you know, TIFs and TDDs we can audit. But when it gets into like, you know, ambulance districts or, um, you know, road districts or municipalities, we can only conduct an audit uh, of those entities if we are invited in by the governing body, which is what happened in Holland. The Board of Aldermen invited us in. Or if we receive a petition of the citizens signed by a requisite number of people in the to live in the political subdivision to uh, cause an audit to be uh, triggered through, through the initiative process. And uh, we did have a, a bill that nearly passed this year but it got hung up in the in the infighting in the senate in the last in the last week that would have given us the ability to in a in a case where we do an investigation which we can do an investigation of cities without going into a full audit um it, but if we find like a likelihood of fraud or mismanagement through an investigation that we would have been able to uh, uh, launch an audit based off of that but unfortunately like i said that didn't pass and so now if we were to say, yeah, we did an investigation. We think there's probably money being stolen. The only recourse a taxpayer has is to go try to get a bunch of signatures to get us the authority to conduct an audit after that investigation is done. And I don't know, and, and I don't know if you know, but it, nationally, does the auditor in Missouri have more power than most auditors? Last, what's where in, this, in the ranking of other states do you, does your authority uh, sort, of, sort of fall? I would say we're probably in the, in the upper and the uh, maybe the upper quartile. I haven't done a deep dive on this, but I know there are auditors' offices that don't have as much uh, have as much discretion to conduct audits, and there's some that that don't even have a true audit function, even though they're called the state auditor. Uh, so, but there are also some like the, uh, the auditor in Mississippi made a lot of news uh, several months ago when they did an investigation of a nonprofit. Uh, that involved Brett Favre and, and paying for uh, like a, a new volleyball arena with money that was supposed to be used for the TANF program. And so the Mississippi auditor has the ability to execute search warrants. They have very broad powers uh, in Mississippi. You know, we have the ability to issue subpoenas as part of our uh, audit process, but we do not have the ability to say like execute a search warrant or self-enforce subpoenas. We have to go to court to enforce our subpoenas. And um, so, there's, you know, there are things that we could do to enhance the, the auditor's office. Uh, and, you know, I, I would be in favor of some of those things. But the, the big thing is we want to make sure that the auditor's office is doing a job of holding government accountable for taxpayers. You know, the, the, there's plenty of state agencies that, that audit taxpayers and audit the private sector entities in, in, in the country. We're the people that audit those people. And, and we need to make sure that we have the tools and resources we need to do that effectively. 
Love it. All right. Uh, as we do every day, we finish up with two questions. First is our question of the day. Question of the day today, what's your morning routine? You know, in a, in a perfect world, I get up. At uh, my alarm goes off at five a.m. I'm at the gym. That does not sound like a perfect world. I'm just gonna I'm just start there. <laughs> well, that's it, the world I live in. The best case scenario: alarm goes off at five. I'm at the gym at five thirty. Home at six thirty-five. Kids out the door at about seven uh, ten, and then I try to get get out the door and get get to work uh, as soon as possible after that. Very nice. Uh, finally, if anybody wants to know more about you, the work that you're doing, or just the general, the auditor's office, how do they follow you on social media? Uh, at Fitzpatrick Mo, and that's my uh, non-official Twitter account. Uh, the auditor's office is at auditor, auditor underscore Fitz, and uh, auditor.mo.gov on, on the, the World Wide Web or scottfitzpatrick.com. Very good. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Good talking to you. Hey, good to hear from you. That was Scott Fitzpatrick, the state auditor. We had him on last 4th of July. As we mentioned then, fantastic statewide official, probably one of the most honest and, and, and uh, direct individuals you'll ever meet, one of the good guys of state government, and really nice to know he's watching our tax dollars. All right, we're going to be right back. Still more to go in the show. Don't forget, Snake Draft today. It's a Wednesday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got to clear my voice up before that. All right. Oh. We'll be right back. Stick around. Did not hold me in its arms like it holds me now. So I dreamt myself a 